I think that's why it's more important to chase excellence and pursue excellence in everything you do. Like try to be the best business possible, try to be the best athlete possible, but not at the sacrifice of who you are and thinking that once I reach this level of success, then I'll be happy. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Lifestyle Engineer Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Chenard, and today I have Derek Batman with me today. He is the founder of Hard Bat Athletics on a mission to change lives through fitness and change companies through branding. Welcome, Derek. And first of all, obviously, everyone probably says, what a sick name. Amazing name. <laughs> you know, I probably sound like a broken record at this point, but uh, I just tell everyone it's like the last name lottery, man. I had no effect on this. I'm not one of those weirdos that loved comic books and decided to, uh, you know, reinsert this or insert this later on in life. Yeah, I was born and this is what it's been since the, I, you know, have my first memory. So I love it. So we are both in the gym industry space and um, we recently got connected through Sean Ryder, who is my mentor in the gym space. And also um, he was on my podcast. We talk about infinite banking. So if you guys have a chance or curious about that, check it out. So we got connected and we had a conversation. Yeah. And we we're like, yep, let's have a, let's have some podcasts. Let's, let's be on each other's podcasts and go from there. So you talk about branding. I would really like to start with that. What, what draws you to branding? For me, I think it was in part the empathy that I've gained for new business owners by the way of being one for a really long time and not having a good pulse on what it takes to build a brand from the bottom up and some of the frustrations that have come out of that. And I think the second part of it is once I started to figure out how to put something together that was meaningful enough to capture some eyes and ultimately get some leads and, and uh, some people into my businesses. And it was, it was just the recognition that Everyone has something unique to offer to the world. They just need to find the right channel and methods to be able to tell their story. And I think that there's ultimately a lot of power in storytelling. And that's essentially what branding is, is, is it's people like us do things like this. You know, I think that's the, the Seth Godin way of putting it. And I love that. And I think that a lot of times the things that fall underneath of branding by the way of marketing and sales kind of come with a taboo and, and get a bad rap. And I, I don't think that that needs to be the case. I think, you know, in a capitalist society, we live in the best possible, we live in a way that is the best possible way to exchange goods or information with one another, which is that the buyer and the seller in a capitalist society both say, thank you. Right. And that's not the way it is in many parts of the world. And I think that that's something that we take for granted. And because of that, I think that if I can help business owners in any industry better tell their story in a way that helps them connect with people that they can then provide value to, well, then that's a day, <laughs> a day well spent in my eyes. Yeah. And you mentioned taboo, right? Like it's taboo to create offerings, to offer your service, to ask for money for what you do, right? It's, I think a lot of people, especially when they get into just get into um, being an entrepreneur or offering a service or being a coach, you feel selfish sometimes. You feel bad about offering your service or saying like, hey, I think you should hire me. But in reality, if like you said, if you're sharing a story, if you're sharing 
a solution to a problem. It's actually probably more uh, selfish not to offer what you have to offer. It's more selfish not to help someone with what you've, what I always say, been entrusted to steward, right? Yeah, absolutely. And and I would just add that, you know, the complexity of problems that you can solve raises your value as a business or as a coach, right? Or as, um, as a company. And this is why it's that much more important to make sure you're evaluating your services correctly. You know, one of the things that I see businesses fall into a lot is they're afraid to charge a certain amount of money based on their services and their worth because of their own projections about finances onto their clients. And it's not fair just not just for them, but also for the clientele, because ultimately by charging what you should, right, and placing a high value on your services, you allow yourself to then fulfill those services in the way they need to be fulfilled. You can afford the talent to help you out. You can afford the resources that are necessary in order to be able to provide the highest level of value possible for your clients, right? And I think that this is a pitfall that a lot of people fall into, which is they're they're afraid to charge correctly right. and appropriately for their services. And then they're stuck in a place where they can't afford help and they don't have access to the information to get better for themselves and for the sake of their clients. And they get stuck into this spin cycle where they 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 just feel like they can't get out of it, right? And they're 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 working their butt off, working 60 hour weeks for for no return. And uh, you know, they're they're unable to provide the value that they they had promised to their clients. And a lot of times they begin to resent either their clientele base or their business, uh, you know, at whole. So I think it's a vicious cycle that uh, I, I find a lot of value in helping business owners get out of. Yeah, it's it's hard, right? When you're trying to be everything to everyone. And when you try to be everything to everyone, you're nothing to everyone, right? Like it, you can't, if you're offering a premium service because we all as business owners want to offer premium service but you're not valuing it at the right amount like you said the resentment burnout um and then you'll you'll sometimes you'll have people that purchase your service that regardless of how much effort and energy you put into it they're not going to find value in it because they're stuck in that mindset themselves right that more of the victim mindset and lacking the responsibility um, to invest themselves and to search into, for things that are of higher value. Sure. Yeah. And I think, you know, a short term game, which when you're first getting started out and you're, you're, you're coming from a, a, a scarcity mindset and a place of desperation, it's kind of a come one, come all mentality. Like you want to have everyone yeah. in and every no that you get hurts like to, to, to your core. But the longer that you're in the game and the more foresight you're able to have into the future, right? You can talk on longer time horizons. What you start to realize is that you want a bunch of no's. Like you want a, a lot of people to not be the right fit for your service. And you want to have the bravery and the knowledge to know or to, to be able to say, yeah, this probably isn't a good fit for you, but let me recommend somewhere that is. And in this way, what you do is you very carefully curate your culture and your following to be that of the types of people that fit the business that you want, right? And for you, for your vision for your business. But I know 
how hard this is in the very beginning when you're struggling to, you know, keep the business afloat, let alone get a paycheck. And you don't want to say no to anybody, but eventually you have to learn to play the long game. And I think that that is for the benefit of both, you know, the, the owner, the, the employees and the consumers or clients. Yeah. I don't know if you've read Simon Sinek's book, the infinite game or not. I haven't, but I've, I've heard it referenced a lot. Yeah. Yeah. So basically the same thing, right? Like more about the purpose and impact and less about the short-term gratification and numbers. Obviously you need profit, you need um, cash flow, you need to have those things in order to be in the game long-term. But if you're doing, if you're sacrificing, Hey, the clients you want to serve, if you're sacrificing your service, if you're sacrificing yourself in order to get the short-term gratification, you're not going to be in business for very long, right? And that's a that's a difficult thing because it is, like it sounds easy when we talk about it. Well, don't worry about when someone says no, when you offer them a service. That's difficult at the start, right? But you do build that resiliency. You build that mindset that someone will come that aligns with the service. And so I specialize in helping business owners become stronger people of character, but also build their ethos, their culture, and their purpose around the gym or, or their business in general. And I think that's part of branding too, right? The, the purpose, the culture, you, you're going to actually repel some people with, if you have a strong culture, if you have a strong mission and purpose, you're going to repel some people, but it's also going to attract a lot of people too. Well, I, and to your point, I think that what it is that you do with business owners and entrepreneurs is what it allows them to be able to store, to tell their story from a more authentic place. You know, the, the more in touch you are with your core values and your purpose, the easier it is to tell your story and the more authentic it will feel to the people that are listening to it. You know, like we all know what it feels like when we get on YouTube or you see someone on Instagram or TikTok and they're playing a role, you know, like I think yeah. like a good example of this is like the liver king, you know, and, and it's he's a very successful human being in what he does. But it comes by the way of just entertainment value. No one looks at that man and goes, yeah, he's he's authentic in what he's doing, you know, and I don't take anything away from that because I think that there are many avenues to be able uh, to to find success in the world. But I think you and I both work with a lot of people that exist inside of a, a very a very micro niche, if you will, in terms of a brand. And that way of doing things is just not going to fit, right? Because like I exist in a, in a small town in Newark, Delaware. And if all of a sudden I take on the persona of the liver king, people are going to be like, who the hell is this guy? <laughs> right? And like, I'm supposed to go to his gym that's three miles away. Why is he acting like this? This isn't natural, right? So I think it's just important to recognize that you know, that authenticity piece is huge because you're, you're, you're really trying to become like five mile famous in your area. Um, and, and to do that, like you want the people to know who you really are. Yeah, absolutely. And if, if you happen to have more, um, influence like on, cause social media allows us to have more influence than just in our cities. Now you want, you want it to be in alignment with who you are. And I was talking with Mario. He's another um, branding coach. He was on my last podcast and we were talking about authenticity, this very thing. Like when you can 
deliver your brand, when you can align your your business with who you are, um, that's a way better place to be delivering your service from than trying, like, again, Liver King is quote unquote successful. Like if we're looking at what success is, I mean, hundred million dollar businesses, like I think he said, he brings hundred millions of dollars a year. Um, and that's part of that is by him being so out there playing this role. But I, I struggle seeing how that wouldn't be tiring, right? That, Cause he's, he's having to, to commit to being this person day in and day out like for one i'm not trying to judge but never wearing a shirt anywhere because that's part of his thing right like all these things must get tiring and if you so my actually my my brand just blew up recently and it was it blew up based on who i was right i sit in cold tubs like i don't ideally want to do that for the rest of my life but i didn't become this false picture of myself so i can go on my social media account and just be me which I think is way more exciting than having to keep up a facade and be something I'm not in order to maintain this level of success. Sure. Well, yeah, I mean, I think at the end of the day, everything's just a trade-off, right? And there are certain trade-offs that you have to be willing to make in order to grow to a certain point. And I I think as long as you're being genuine and honest with yourself as far as what those trade-offs are that you're willing to make, well, then that's what living in authenticity means. And like maybe for him, right, for for Liver King, like that is his that is his dream, right? And he feels purpose in what he's doing. And perhaps he is by any means gaining as much traction as he can to spread his message to the world. And that's fine, right? I, I think that it's just it's a pipe dream for many people to want to chase that without understanding the true trade-offs that he's making for his lifestyle. And unfortunately, the dollar sign becomes very illuminating um, and, and can be a bit of a distraction for a lot of people. You know, that you hear like, oh, so-and-so made this much money off of their YouTube page or so-and-so made this much money off of their Instagram. And it's like, I get how that can have an alluring effect on people. But there's a reason why people like Jim Carrey come out and say, you know, my, my hope for everyone is that they can make enough money to realize that money isn't everything, right? you know, and, and that's like one of those things where people hear that and they're like, yeah, well, it's easy for you to say you made enough money. It's like, yeah, but that's kind of the point is like, eventually when you make enough money where money isn't the thing you're chasing anymore, you realize that it's just not the center of the bullseye, right? Like at the end of the day, like that's not, that's not your ultimate driver. And the, the moment, the point being made there is like the moment that you can offboard that and find purpose and meaning in the other areas of your life is when you truly start to live. Yeah, because you're not reliant on the outcome to continue pushing forward the mission, right? The mission is what keeps you pushing forward. And maybe the byproduct might be financial success, might be these other things. Um, I think that's why it's more important to chase excellence and pursue excellence in everything you do like try to be the best business possible, try to be the best athlete possible, but not at the sacrifice of who you are and thinking that once I reach this level of success, then I'll be happy. Um, I haven't asked you, Derek, did you play sports growing up? 
I did. I, yeah, I basically played everything under the sun up and through high school. And then um, in college, I got into jujitsu and Muay Thai and boxing awesome. and those sort of things. And awesome. that was my segue into CrossFit. Okay. Yeah. And I think well, I was going to lead in with that is um, I grew up playing hockey, competitive hockey. And I, I noticed a lot of competitive athletes get caught up in this athletic identity, like thinking that they don't know what to do once they're done playing the sport. And I don't know if you have anything insight or thoughts on that. Uh, yeah, a lot. Um, I mean, I guess I can speak to it through my personal lens first. I mean, I, I had, I had some shame that was associated with, with my experiences and sports just because I had, I had gone through a lot in high school, um, by the way of, uh, you know, drinking and drug addiction and some personal problems that I had faced alongside of trying to be the best athlete possible. And, and I think that what that led to was me in hindsight, being able to recognize that I had to some degree or another self-sabotaged any sort of a potential I had in sports, you know, and, and I held because of that, I held on to it for a lot longer than I probably should have and probably fought through a lot more injuries than I probably should have because I had this this dream of kind of like getting back to that someday. And, you know, I, I've learned to, to, I've learned to learn through that, you know, and grow from it. And, uh, you know, speaking to just the inability to kind of let it go, you know, I, I think that that was very heavily tied into why I started a CrossFit gym in the first place. You know, I, I wanted to be able to wake up and feel like I had a place that could facilitate my, my hopes and dreams of, of just like, going the athletic route and being able to train three to four hours a day. And because of that, I was somebody that was so caught up simultaneously in the craft of being a coach and an athlete while also trying to be a business owner. And, and, you know, unfortunately that put the business owner on the back burner for quite a while, you know, and I, I tell people this all the time and I truly mean it. Like if I had to start my gym over, over again, we've been open in 11 and a half years now, I could build my gym in less than two years, you know? And I think, it's just because like I've gotten to the point where I've actually started to genuinely love being a business owner, but also recognize how much time I wasted uh, just pers I don't want to say pursuing the wrong things, but not being connected to the meaning behind the things that I was pursuing when I first opened. Right. Yeah. And that resonates with me too. Like I, when I first opened the gym, that was the exact same mindset I had is I'm going to get to work out a lot and do all the programming and this is my job. And then same thing. Um, I think it was three years into it. We're 10 year business. Now I invested in two brain mentoring and I realized, Oh, this, <laughs> there's a lot more on the table that we can do here. And along that process, I realized I actually really enjoy the business ownership part. Right. And I think a lot of people, business owners actually specifically gym owners probably resonate with this right they got into it because they're passionate about it and then realized that doesn't that doesn't ensure you're gonna be a gym or a business for a long period of time yeah and i spoke i spoke to the the scarcity mindset earlier and i think that what this led to for me in the very beginning was like i walked around with my shoulders pulled back and my head held high based on the fact that I felt like I gave everything of in my being to being a good coach. 
And because of that, I would hoard the information, right? Hoard the resources. Mm. I would consciously or subconsciously also believe that like I was the best in the building. I was the best in the business. And because of that, I limited the opportunities for the people that worked for me. Like in, in the, the, the first probably half, you know, of owning my business, I spent the majority of my time trying to prove to everyone that I was the best at what I was, was doing. And, and look, in large part, I was obsessed. I was dedicating an absurd amount of time to my craft. But then again, I should have been doing that. You know, I was, right. I was the owner, you know, and, and I shouldn't have placed that kind of responsibility on the, on the other people. And, and also, if I was better than them, then that's my fault, right? That means that I'm not taking the time and spending the energy and money for that matter in providing the resources and coaching development necessary to help every single person below me get better. And once I made that switch, which took time, it wasn't, I don't want to refer to it as a switch because I think that gives the impression that it happened overnight. But as that switch occurred, over the course of a year or two years, you know, and two brain was was a major part of that. I now have not only been able to provide ridiculous amounts of opportunities for my employees, but they're now giving 10x 100x the value that I was ever able to able to give as as an individual owner, you know, and, and I'm just very thankful that I, I found that path because I, I just I was living in such a place of uh, of scarcity and of just selfishness so it, it was right. I, and i feel like every owner goes through that you know i, I yep. see it a lot i see it a lot same thing i went the exact same thing and you start to bottleneck your business right and because you're wanting to be everything to everyone again like going back to what we were talking about before and wanting to be seen as everything because your ego your it's the ego part right at least i'm talking for myself it was an egotistical thing right um and again I think we should pursue excellence. I think we should be the best we possibly can be, the best coach, the best business owner, the best spouse, the best parent, whatever it is. You should try to be the best you possibly can. Um, but not get caught up in that becoming an identity piece that you can't then share with others. That scarcity mindset piece, right? And I think that that peace really limits business owners too right like we're talking about you're talking about being a coach and almost putting yourself on a pedestal because i'm talking for myself here putting myself on a pedestal because i have all these certifications i'm this good well what happened is i actually ran out of energy and i couldn't do everything right instead of investing time in my staff and that was way long ago now we're investing a lot of time in staff and making sure that everyone's um being consistent and the best they possibly can be. But that also happens with business owners too, right? They think that if they share information, if they meet with other business owners, that makes their business less, or they're going to fail because of that, which I think I'm sure you could speak into that as well. Irony here is that I have part-time coaches that work less than 15 hours a week that were, are making more than I was making when I was working 70 hours a week, you know, Um, and, you know, we spoke to kind of the, the importance of being able to pass this information down to the coaches, by the way, of just having this growth and abundance mindset. But I think it also goes in the other direction, right? I have developed as a coach so much more now that I welcome advice and feedback 
right? And want to learn. Like I, I, I approach the relationships that I have with physical therapists um, and uh, chiropractors and other coaches and fitness professionals and, and dietitians by the way of like, I'm actually curious. I'm not coming into this conversation purely because I want to demonstrate my knowledge base. It's like, I already know what I know. Like I'm trying right. to improve, right? My own personal software, by the way of being genuinely curious as to the things that you know, right? And that, it was another just huge mindset switch for me that was just so impactful. Yeah, being humble and entering into situations with curiosity, knowing, hey, how can I grow? And if there's insight I can give, if there's wisdom I can share, awesome but it needs to be placed at the right time. And then, yeah, I think that's such a powerful thing. Let's talk about mindsets a little bit. So we're talking, you mentioned scarcity quite a few times and I, I teach on mindset shifts, whether it's for business owners or just individuals, scarcity versus abundance. Let's chat about that a bit. What are you, let, give us a kind of a flow chart of what that looks like. Well, I, I don't want to beat this point too much, but like, I do think it's important to note that I think these things can be so heavily driven by environment. Mm. And in the, the first thing I'd mentioned earlier was, was about being in a place where I, where I felt like I was making no money, you know, and was living not just paycheck to paycheck. Like do I was like defaulting on my student loans, running up credit cards. So it's, it's, it's incredibly difficult to have a, an abundance mindset, but when you're literally in scarcity, you know what I mean? Like, so environment matters for sure. Now, you know, just adjacent to that environment matters, by the way, of the types of people you're surrounding yourself with. Like what I spoke to Chris Cooper back in 2000 and I think it was 15 or early 16 when like the program was like maybe $5,000 for the year to get started. And it's like, yes, was that a ton of money for me back then? For sure. But I just think about if I had had the exposure to a group of people that came from an abundance mindset, how much quicker I would have made the adjustments to, to working towards on that continuum um, towards abundance. And I think that as much as environment matters in the way that I explained it, but you know, in work, you know, working 60 hours a week, being around other starving coaches and people that were just you know, grinding every single day to try to make any sort of money to be able to, you know, pay the basically pay the bills to now getting around gym owners that had found a level of success, but were willing to part ways with the information that they had gathered to be able to help get them there and graciously give it to, to other gym owners. I think my mindset would have shifted much sooner. And, and I hope that because of now being part of some of these groups and having the resources in these very successful coaches and gym owners and business owners in general, that I can then provide that resource for other people that might be in a place of struggle. Yeah. What you mentioned there is groups, like the whole principle of the average of five, like you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with. And with us being in a more technological age, right? Like it's exponentially growing. You can surround yourself with people from around the world that you want to glean things off of and say like, Hey, this person has a different way of doing things. Um, like you mentioned, Chris Cooper, same thing. I think on the same time I chatted with him and I saw that the group of people were doing something different and they're having success. The metrics were shown that people are having success with the, the tools and the tactics and the methods they're applying. Um, and then I believe it was 20, 
2017, I joined, it's called the Tinker Mastermind Group. And I was in there for about three years and just a whole different level. I remember going to that Facebook group and seeing what people were doing in there. I'm like, oh, this is, this is different. This is different entrepreneurship than I've ever been exposed to. And it was like this ladder for me is our small town. We don't really talk about entrepreneurship here. There's not much for that. But then when I got into the two brain, that was my first kind of mastermind. And I was exposed to that and realizing, oh, there's a different way of looking at life. There's a different way of doing these things. And the tinker, the more, the higher echelon of this way different, right? People are doing things and they, it just starts to pull you up and your perspective and your mindset changes what you think is possible. And I'm sure there's multiple levels that I don't even know about yet. Oh yeah. I mean, and what's like, it, it is a pay to play situation and it's because people want you to make an investment. And, and unfortunately that usually comes by the way of both monetary and time, you know, like people want you to invest into the group. And, and I've kind of made this ascension myself. And every time, you know, I get that uncomfortable feeling of like, okay, it's time to move on to the next. This is more than I want to spend or allocate towards this. And I do it. There's the return is always ridiculous. So like you play that game enough and you know, you can start to leverage the, the people in that group to tell you which groups you need to go into next so that you, there's a level of trust that's there. It's not like you're not Googling right. mastermind group that I should join. It's like you're using the people that you've gained rapport and trust with to be able to say, hey, this is what you need to do next. And I think that goes right back to what we started with is branding. And I think good branding is you create trust and authority so that when you have an offer, when you have something, a program, a service that can help someone, people trust you. I think a lot of times, and you could probably speak more into this than I can, is people who are trying to develop a brand, they start with the offer. They start with wanting to help people with this X amount of dollars, let's call it X amount of dollars a month offer, instead of actually building this authority and building this trust. Because if you build a following, if you build a brand that people can trust you, um, then it's a lot easier to offer a service. It's a lot easier for someone to opt in than it is just to say, hey, buy this because I said so type of thing. Yeah, no, I love that. I think real branding takes time, just like real anything takes time. And things that take time and a lot of effort are hard, which is why not everyone is able to, to do them, which is why not everyone develops a great business or a great brand. And I think you know, I don't want to get too much into the X's and O's because it'll, it'll confuse people without actual metrics to look at and, and pictures. But, you know, I think one of the pitfalls that a lot of people fall into on the marketing side of things is that they are basically trying to take this, you know, uncurated, wide open audience that they're exposing their information content to and trying to make a sale without having vetted at all who is a right fit for their business and who is not. So it's like in worst case scenario, nobody knows you. So why should they buy from you so that you don't get any leads? And your best case scenario in that instance is that you get a ridiculous amount of leads, but because they don't know you and you don't know them, they end up being mostly junk. So now you're spending ridiculous amounts of time 
doing lead nurture with people that aren't actually interested in your business and talking with people that you're not actually interested in helping. So true branding is the ability to take this wider net and then use tactics to start to get a better picture of who's engaging with my stuff, right? Who's watching my videos, who's, uh, you know, liked or commented on any of my posts before, who has interest in behaviors that are similar to that of the type of person that I want to work with. Okay, now let me attract those people, right? And the funnel that I just demonstrated for you could take years and tens of thousands of dollars in videos and in, in photos, right? And lots of time of writing blogs. And oh, by the way, lead nurture that's not done all by AI. Like you have real human contact with people, right? You've gotten on the phone, you've done cold outbound calls, you've, you've done discovery calls, you've sat in a room across from somebody and listened to them pour their heart out about uh, their story of why losing weight is so meaningful to them. Like, you know, and I, Alex Hermosi talks about this all the time. He's like, if, if you do 4,000 consults, right, it is unreasonable to believe that you're not going to get better at sales. And the same is true through everything up, the, up that funnel down to the bottom. Yeah, it's just repetition, iteration. And I was going to try to think of another R because I would like the flow of that. But uh, <laughs> uh, so repetition, iteration, and then yeah, you just keep doing that over and over and over again. Response it, time. Response <laughs> That's time. a big one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What do you mean by that? Um, well, I mean, the math speaks for itself. I believe it's uh, you get 33% more leads. It might even be 66. I could be saying this wrong. When you reach out to a, a lead within five minutes. Like response time matters. Um, and I was, we were terrible with this. Like I remember back in the day, we, I would, uh, we would get leads to the website, which was, you know, all organic traffic because we weren't paying for anything back then. And it, uh, it would take forever for me to get back to these people, you know? And, and it's like, oh, that's weird. They're not getting back to me. It's like, yeah, you, you took a week. <laughs> like this person's right. moved on, man. So, right. uh, you know, having the systems and, and people in place to be able to, to, to deliver within a five minute window is hard. But again, building a business is hard. And I think, I can't tell you how many times I would go through this as a business owner where somebody would be like, well, you should do this. And you're like, yeah, that's nice, but that's not possible. And it's like, yes, it is. Like people are doing that. It just, it's boring. It's tedious and it requires consistency. And it's like, yeah. sure, three weeks in, you might be irritated that you haven't moved the needle all that much, but it's like, how about a year, right? Try a year of that and see what happens. And in every single case, you will see massive growth in the thing that you're looking to change yeah and that's the principle that in multiple areas of life you think relationally you think um professionally you think physically it's just doing the small boring things day in and day out knowing why you're doing them so you can stay consistent in them and i think that's what what often happens in my mind is the people get into projects or businesses or they pursue things for the wrong reasons if you're pursuing something just for the sake of pursuing it or just for the money at the end of the tunnel let's say as an example for business then it's going to be a lot harder to withstand the ups and downs that you're going to face right you actually have to be invested and want to do it for a bigger reason than just the money 
And I think that's where a lot of people fail in the business world or they fail to be consistent in their fitness or fail to be consistent in any of their life because they didn't anchor themselves to something more than just the outcome they wanted. Sure. Well, and, and I think there's so much truth baked into the idea that it is about doing the simple things over a long period of time that is what leads to success. And I think one of the easiest ways to recognize this is if you look at your really fit friends and you say, hey, what do you do right in the gym? And they go, oh, X, Y, and Z. And you go, well, should I do that? And they're like, well, probably not. I've been doing this for 15 years, <laughs> right? And then you begin to realize that what may look complex to you is simple for them. And also they've used the compounding effect of doing this over a very long period of time. And uh, a point I wanted to make in regards to something being simple or breaking it down to simple steps is that I think people oftentimes ruin their ability to keep things simplistic because they're just trying to do too much. So in other words, if, if all you were, are worrying about is your fitness, right? And like trying, let's say the center of the bullseye for you is like, I want to be able to look good, feel good, right? And you're like, okay, I'm going to put put the things in place that have the highest amount of leverage. And I'm just going to focus on those. And it, and I think that it can be really simple when it's like, okay, just eat your body weight in protein, right? In grams of protein, just get X amount of, you know, ounces of water a day, uh, get X amount of sunlight, whatever, right? But when you start to add this into, oh, well, I also want this social life and I want to go out every single weekend. And, oh, like on weekdays, I am involved with theater. And then like, you know, you, you start adding in these five to 10 other things that are you involve in your life. And you start to realize that simplicity isn't simplicity anymore when it's, it's met with a thousand other inputs. So I think oftentimes we have to be, we have to, we have to look at our lives and realize that like we can do anything that we want, but we can't do everything that we want. And the best way to do anything that you want is to get really, really actionable and simple with it and eradicate everything else. Right. And I think I, and listen, I struggle with this all of the time, right? I'm running a gym, right? Right now I'm, I'm still fully involved with my coaching and team development. And on the side, I'm starting a marketing and branding business with two other individuals. And it's like that alone is more than enough. Oh, oh, by the way, like we have a kid due in a month, you know? So like, it's hard, right? It's really hard. And I think I constantly am reminding myself of the thing that I just expressed, which is that you can't do everything really, really well. So you have to get specific as to the rate of growth for each and your roles and responsibilities. And you have to be honest when it's too much. I have removed myself by about 95% from my on the floor responsibilities at my gym, not because I don't love it, not because I don't love being inside of that facility and conversing with my members, but because right now it is too much in the context of everything. And it hurts my soul that I can't be there as much as I want to be there, but there's seasonality to life and you can't do everything at once. No. Yeah, and I take the courage to be honest about that, right? And a lot of courage and humility to say, I can't do everything and I need to entrust a lot of this to someone else. And that also goes into systems, the importance of systems 
and workflows and things like that. So, and teammates and leveraging all that stuff. So you can do more, but not dependent on just you, right? Like creating the, the team development is one of the most important things you can do, right? The culture, which is the combination of anyone, everyone's character in the business itself and then empowering and developing leaders so that they can run the business the way close to the way you would do it while you create other things. But that, that takes a lot of time too. If we're talking about how long it takes to create a brand, creating a strong culture takes a really long time. Yes, it does. Yeah. And, and to your point about, you know, having the willingness to kind of outsource and uh, hand things off to the team. I mean, one of the things that I constantly ask myself is how could I make this easier Right. And who do I know that has the skill sets that I could pass this project off to? You know, right. and uh, if you don't have someone, you need to find someone. And in a, in a world that is now filled with virtual assistants um, and people that are uh, doing freelance work, basically everything that you do or need to do can be outsourced. Mm. And it's hard at first because you're like, yeah, but I, why, why would I pay someone to do that when I can do it myself? And it's like, because you're the CEO, like your job is to oversee all of these things and to be able to be clear headed enough to make the big decisions when good opportunities or better yet, great opportunities come your way. And when you're bogged down in the day to day, 25 an hour tasks, you can't be in the headspace that's necessary to be able to make the epic moves that you want to make. And that's not an elitist thing like i think in the you know when i first heard that i thought like oh that sounds very like superior elitist like and it's like no 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 no. like if you do better everyone under you does better right and and that's what started to click for me a lot was that as i progress in both of my businesses more opportunities come about for the people that are underneath of me and have buy-in to those companies Mm mm-hmm yeah, the ones that I buy and the ones who want to ascend. And I think there's an aspect of guilt too. I mean, I went through it when I was starting to work outside, work more on the business than inside of it, meaning being less on the floor as a coach. You start to devalue the role of what a CEO is because when you look at it, um, it could look like there's less time being spent on the higher level roles in a business but they are supposed to be very very impactful so like making one decision spending one hour in that role should fix a lot of other things that you couldn't do if you're on the floor right and i think there's an aspect of guilt to that as well that people have to get over feeling like hey i'm not spending 40 hours a week on the floor but you couldn't spend 40 hours a week doing the same thing right because it takes so much time and energy and it's a lot of stuff that is more cerebral, a lot of stuff that you can't touch and feel like you're bringing things that live inside your head and then trying to organize a team around it to make it happen. Yeah. Well, beginners should spend less time thinking and more time doing and masters should spend less time doing and more time thinking, you know, and, and ironically for myself at this moment, I'm in one business where I'm in the position where I have to spend most of my time thinking and that's the gym right? The direction of the gym is predicated on my ability to, uh, to generate ideas that will propel the entire team 
forward. And in my other business, it's doing. Like right now, I am like neck deep in understanding metrics and algorithms and different platforms and ads and ad spend and being able to, uh, you know, speak the language necessary to work with other business owners in, in different industries outside of the gym space. And it's like, the, I'm all doing there, you know, so it's kind of funny, because I have this paradox in my life at the moment. Um, but it's it's an appreciation that takes time. Yeah, and, and to your point, like, as the CEO, you, you can never undervalue the your ability to think clearly. And you do that, by the way, of just not having a schedule that runs you from 6am to 7pm every day in the day to day, you know, on the floor in the trenches. Um, and it's, it's hard, you know, but you, it's probably not something you're going to change overnight. It's something that's going to happen gradually. In my case, it happened what felt like overnight, because I should have done it a long time ago. <laughs> because right. I had the resources, you know, like, it's so funny. Now going like into my meetings, I still have two meetings a week with my GM. I have uh, a full focus coach that I have a meeting with every week. We do uh, full team meetings with all um, eight or nine of us on, uh, you know, one Sunday a month. And it's like, I go in and, and for the most part, everyone's like, yeah, we're good. You know, like, we're good. Mm -hmm. Like everything's in place. Like things are moving along. At this point, it's just the consistency of delivery. Right. So what stopped you then to taking action? You said you had all the, the tools and stuff, but you didn't take action. I think part of it, part of it was that I just didn't have that other thing. Like now, now having the other thing in the branding and in that space and having something that like was of high value and could pull my attention away and force me to be a student once again, um, put me in a position where it's like, if you actually want to do this and do it well, like you need to dedicate time to it. And the only way you're ever going to dedicate time to it is to remove yourself from being on the floor so much of the gym. The other part of it is the anticipation of having a kid. So my wife is yeah. eight months pregnant. Um, I th our due date is March 21st. And I didn't want to pressure test our systems for the first time when she was born. I wanted to do right. it well ahead of time so that I could solve any problems that, you know, may have come about prior to that happening, you know, and because I, I promised my wife at minimum that I wanted to spend two weeks at home with her um, when our daughter's born. And I think those two things were the, were a big part of it. And then the third was, uh, was joining Tinker, like getting around gym owners that had removed themselves from the gym, not because they didn't love it any less, but because it, put their team in position to have to learn how to exist without you. And everyone stressed the same thing, which is like, they thrive, like they're going to thrive, you know, and your role then becomes training and coaching them, right? It, like you're on the floor time now is spent working with them and giving them opportunities. And I think those three things, uh, you know, in some were, what, uh, you know, pushed me to, to eventually do it. But, yeah, my hesitancy was just purely, I look, I love it. Like, I love being a coach, you know, and it's, that's the hardest part about all of this is like, it, my fondest memories, and the thing that I still enjoy the most is either being one on one with a client and having those like deep rooted conversations, um, or standing up front and coaching a class and, and leading a group of people that are there to, you know, mutually high five and suffer together. 
Um, yeah. There's just something powerful in that, you know, and I, I love standing yeah. in front of the room and, and being able to, to coach a bunch of people. Um, so yeah. And, and, and like, I know you probably feel the same way. Like I, I know that I will get back into it for sure. You know, like, and I, I'm, it's funny, like, as I've gotten out, my GM will ask me, like, what do you miss the most? And I'm like, I miss coaching. Like, I just miss being on the floor coaching people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I was going to say it's a whole identity shift, right? Like you're very quickly going from, Hey, I'm a coach to I don't coach anymore. Right. That's a difficult thing. You're giving something up, you're switching roles. And some of the funnest times now is when I get to go coach, like I still coach maybe once a month, um, right now a little bit more because we're working on some systems and developing some new staff but yeah when you start to appreciate it, it it it's a whole different feeling right when you realize oh this is i really enjoy doing this and i can i can go do it every once in a while but it, it's no longer dependent and reliant on you the business is no longer dependent and reliant on you to be successful for you coaching and that's a freeing feeling too oh yeah absolutely because it's now all of those things that I mentioned of people saying you need to talk to leads within five minutes and you need to build out branding videos and, and you need to think about the aesthetic of your gym and like you need to do team development. All the things that I used to say I don't have time for, I now have time for, right? Like mm -hmm. I have time to do those higher leverage activities that take a lot of time, resources and energy to be able to do well. And that's how you grow your business. Like that's how you make a name for yourself. That's how you build a brand. Like you, you're not going to do it being in the day to day all of the time. Right. And that's, that takes a leap of faith, right? You're trusting that, Hey, when I start to outsource or when I start to delegate and when I give things that I have developed and I'm really good at, when I give this and trust it to someone else, that's not just going to come crashing down, right? That's a scary thing. Um, but I mean, if we're just talking about gym owners, two brain business, it's proven over and over and over again. When you do that, actually your, your staff start to thrive. They have a career in it and there's more longevity for the business itself because you're empowering them to build the brand for you. Yeah. Well, and Chris, Chris Cooper always talks about being the mental athlete. And I think that the only way you're going to get to that is to have buy-in to the belief that your ability to generate ideas is what's going to propel this thing forward. You know, like if you, if you don't believe in that, you're never going to make that leap of faith. You're not because you feel like you're doing right. The, the actions that you take are the number one thing you need to be doing. And until you start to appreciate the value of just being able to sit and you know, think or go for a walk in nature and find clarity in your purpose and mission and vision, you're going to get stuck in it, you know? And, and unfortunately for many of us, it took way too long to get out of that mindset. Yeah. And it's difficult to get in that mindset because it's hard to attach what walking out in nature and thinking about your purpose, your vision, your mission does, right? That's not tangible. It's hard to see how that's going to benefit, but it does. And for anyone listening, if they need help with that, feel free to reach out to me, help you create your vision, your mission, your purpose for your personal life, your family, and your business. 
And if you need help from Derek in terms of marketing and branding, tell us a little bit more about that. Where can people find you and how can you help them? Yeah, so right now we're we're just getting this thing off of the ground. Uh, we currently have over 10 businesses that we work with, um, mostly in our local area, but also gyms all around the country. And uh, right now, the best place to find me is just Coach Batman on Instagram or Derek Ryan Batman on Facebook. And you can just shoot me a DM or a private message. We are in the process of getting that LLC fully formulated um, and built out. And when that time comes, I'll be able to post links and talk about the business itself. But yeah, right now, everything runs through me. Awesome. Well, Derek, thanks for your time. It's been a pleasure. And again, if you guys want to connect with them, they'll be in show, with Derek, be in show notes there. Um, appreciate your time.